Democrats, they're great. They could let you down, though. Friends definitely let you down. Government let you down. But the Late Kick Extra podcast did not let you down the other day. At the very end, for those of you who stayed tuned in, I told you, and I winked, even though it was audio only, something was coming. It's like Jurassic Park. There's the drum beat. There's the water rippling. And all of a sudden, bam, Colorado's now headed to the Big 12. Late Kick is live. It is Thursday, July 27th, the year of our Lord, 2023. We are actually jam-packed high atop Lucas Oil Stadium as they tear down Big Ten media days behind me. Yeah, no conference expansion in the Big Ten, but we cannot say the same elsewhere. Now, I know a lot of people have given you a lot of takes on this, so I'm not going to waste time delivering the news to you. Yeah, Colorado just wrapped it up in formality's sake a little while ago. They're headed to the Big 12. This has such a big ripple effect well beyond Colorado, well beyond the Big 12, and maybe in a different way than a lot of people are thinking about which is the way we try and go about it on this show. I have got bold predictions tonight. I have got what-ifs tonight. Later on the channel, I will have Luke Fickle. We sat down with him today. We sat down with Matt Rule today. It's been a chore getting this show on air, but hopefully you don't notice the difference. They are watching us in Beaumont, Texas, Avon, Indiana, which Gigi tells me is just up the road, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, St. Louis, Missouri. Thank you so much for being tuned in. If you're listening on podcast, yes, it is that once a year or so, I actually do the show with a handheld microphone, uh, mainly just to switch it up, if nothing more. So here we go. Colorado is headed back to the Big 12. Yes, kids, Colorado used to be there, so they're headed back to the Big 12. Uh, Board of Regents met today. That was a formality. I assume they informed the Big 12. That's the classy thing to do on your way out the door, and the Pac-12 as well, but that was a formality. Um, Let me tell you the first thing I thought about when this news, I got presented like four months ago, honestly. A lot of people have kind of known this was coming. Although our friends on the West Coast, in some cases, presidents and commissioners on the West Coast, tried to deny it. I've hinted at this for a while. So a lot of you guys had already picked up on that. And then last week, pretty much knew what was coming this week. So I let you know as much as I could. Now that it's happened, even as you had folks at Pac-12 Media Days telling you expansion's over and realignment's over, now that it's happened, I want you guys to think about this. Most of you are not Colorado fans. Some of you may not even be Big 12 fans, but you're all college football fans. I have that on Go to Authority or you wouldn't be watching the show. Do you guys care about the playoff at all? Do you care about the structure of the sport? On that question, I get a yes from most of you. So I'm hanging out with Uncle Dennis down there, who, by the way, nailed this. A lot of you ridiculed my Uncle Dennis, and he nailed this. So he's not going to take a victory lap. I will for him. I was talking to Uncle Dennis, and I said, Uncle Dennis, let me ask you something. You keep up with these sorts of things. How much certainty is there in the college football playoff beyond 2025? And he said, nothing. Go on. And I said, well, it seems to me that if the Pac-12 is imploding in on itself like a dying star, and you have the SEC and the Big Ten becoming what they have become, seems to me, Uncle Dennis, that why would we go into a new college football playoff contract, which is about to be negotiated, by the way, and have the SEC and the Big Ten agree to the same amount of auto bids for conference champs that we're about to see for the next two years? Because for the next two years, there are six guaranteed spots in the college football playoff for the highest ranked conference champs. And then you've also got six at larges, six plus six equals 12, 12 team field. You know that drill. You're crazy if you think I'm leading the SEC or the Big Ten and I'm going to sign my name on a piece of paper that still guarantees that. And it's not so much for the health of the sport. You know my feelings on this. I don't like any of the realignment. I love territoriality in college football, but we're way, way past having that genie out of the bottle. So if I were to go role play for you in a second, and I were to say, 
I'm Greg Sankey, or, or I'm, I'm a new Big Ten commissioner, or I am the replacement for Bill Hancock at the head of the college football playoff. Are we really about to enter into a world where I think the Pac-12 champ still has the same shot at being in the playoff as the SECs? I would never, I would never voluntarily, I'm saying, enter into that kind of agreement. I don't think they will. Like That is the big takeaway. That's the big thing to watch down the road, and it's going to take a couple of years. But down the road, I don't think there's a lot known about the future of the playoff. Now, the Big 12, it's an interesting thing happening right here. You got the SEC, you got the Big 10. The Big 12 somehow found a way, and Brett Yormark, new Big 12 commissioner, somehow found a way to lose Oklahoma and Texas and look like an aggressor. Any other person out there, any other old-school bow-tie administrative sort of commissioner would cower. They would go into a clamshell, and it would be all about hiring firms, and it would be all about reading prepared statements. Oh, by the way, your mark in the Big 12 put out a statement. I actually memorized the whole thing. The entire conference statement I have memorized because they released it about an hour ago, and it's two words. They're back. That's the kind of stuff I would do if I ran a conference. That's why they don't let me run conferences. Brett Yormark released a two-word statement on adding a new member institution today, being the Colorado Buffaloes. When they got ahead of the Pac-12 in line and they signed that new media rights deal, that was a surefire sign. When they have seemed steadfast, both in front of the camera and off the record via reporting from well-sourced reporters on every step of the way on this, that was another telltale sign. And I'll tell you something else that I was hearing consistently that I'll just, I'll let you know now. I think there are a lot of people in our space. I don't mean the commentary space. I mean the, the actual nuts and bolts reporting of this. I think a lot of them were even ahead of the curve and knew more in some cases than George Klaifkoff and a lot of the university presidents out on the West Coast. I don't know how much those presidents were being told. That's why it looks so stupid right now. Like I've, I've looked on Twitter. And I've seen you guys all day, as you should. You've been sharing those clips from Pac-12 Media Day last week where they were so adamant, oh, it's over, we're good, we're, we're, we're fine now. And meanwhile, I, I'm sitting in Nashville thinking to myself, no, you're not. And I know that's coming. Like, I had very good knowledge that, that this was coming. So if I know it, how do you not know it? And it's either they lied to your face or they were taken aback by this. And either way, it's bad. You could argue which thing is worse, but either way, it's bad. So what about the Pac-12? Because I hate this. Like, real talk now, even though I grew up in the rural South, I like coast-to-coast quality college football. And I am I'm sort of, with the rest of you guys, teetering on the brink of not having valid football being played, what, west of the Rockies, I guess? I'm not telling you there won't be football I care about. You know what I mean when I say this. I mean, on, on the national scale... I look at some of what I grew up on, and a lot of those teams have changed conferences and affiliations, and the conference itself has already been on one broken leg and one hobbled leg, and it looked like this year was going to be a nice little springboard towards re-relevancy, and now I don't know what's going to happen here. I think it would be very foolish if you were to zoom out a little bit and you look at the fact that three of these schools have bailed in the last couple of years, not one. Don't get caught up on just today. USC said bye. UCLA said bye. Colorado said bye. Do we really think that's it? I'm not hinting at anything in the coming days or weeks. I'm saying, do we really think that's it? I was so interested to, and I still would be so interested, to hear from a lot of the folks at Utah, 
or the folks at Oregon or the folks at Washington. And I ne you never know what's going on behind the scenes there, but let's just say there's nothing. Okay, let's just say they're chilling and they love that Pac-12 sticker on their helmet. How do they feel today? I mean, how do they feel about being a member of a conference that has such an uncertain future? Uh, there's no way that I think that conference maintains its competitive integrity is what I'm telling you. I don't like saying that. I, I would love to run interference for the conference. I would love to carry water for them, and I'd love to pretend that everything's okay. It's not. Uh, so that's how I feel about this. I always save my feelings for the end on a breaking news day. I hate the shift, but I'm telling you right now, we're in the weeds. You know, everyone's talking about Colorado today. I know there have been rumors about FSU in Miami. I know nothing about that for the record, but there have been rumors about individual schools. Zoom it out, guys. Just zoom it out and ask yourself. And be selfish for a second. Everyone else in this sport is. Be selfish for a second. If you run the Big Ten, if you run the SEC, are you seriously two years or maybe just 18 months from now going to sit at a boardroom table and say, sure, we'll, we'll voluntarily agree, even though we're a superpower conference, we'll agree to a format that guarantees six automatic berths in the college football playoff to conference champs that are ranked the highest. Why would you ever do that? Why would anyone in a room full of folks who mainly care about money, no, they say otherwise, why would they voluntarily give up any of that? Have, have, has anyone cracked a history book open lately? Like, is that ever how this works? And so I know today it's about expansion and realignment. I'm kind of tired of talking about it. I do think the coming conversation will be about how that playoff that everyone fought so hard to expand, everyone but me, fought so hard to expand. I wonder how that thing's going to be structured in the next go-around, not this one, in the next go-around. They're watching us all over the place. We appreciate it. Man, our crew had to fight to get us on air today, but we are live, as live can be, here in Indianapolis. Uh, I'm going to talk about the Big Ten Media Days a little bit later in the show. I spoke to half a dozen or more coaches, seven or eight coaches, and got some really good stuff. Some of it's already on the channel. Some of it will be on the channel later. And subscribe while you're there, please. It's what if season, and we've had a lot of them, and we got some more good ones tonight. And so these are just things that we're not necessarily predicting, but they could happen. So we want to be on the record as having talked about it if they do happen. But in the meantime, let me just hit you with some of these. And these are submitted by you. These are not mine. What happens if everyone's wrong, including Vegas, about Miami? What happens if Miami wins the ACC? Well, I think we have good old-fashioned apology tour that most of you won't go on with Mario Cristobal. That's okay. That's fine. I think whether you apologize for hating on the guy or not, he will have arrived at that point. It'll come as a shock to people, and I'm not quite sure it should come as a shock because it wouldn't be the first time that they've won a conference championship where Mario Cristobal is. It would just be his first time at Miami. Uh, we were down there. We did a show down there. In fact, I think the last time we were live on the road was the Miami show, and we... We saw a lot that we could talk about. We saw things that we couldn't talk about, but we got a really, really in-depth look at the program. Um, candidly, it would surprise me if they won that conference this year. It's not out of the realm of possibility. I think you would need Clemson to be a little down. There are, there are still a couple of rosters that are a little bit too superior to Miami, I would think. Now, here's what could change that. If Tyler Van Dyke and Shannon Dawson, if that OC quarterback combination really is just lightning in a bottle, if some of those young receivers really come through, uh, if, if their defense makes a quantum leap in multiple phases. Yeah, I mean, that could happen. That happens every year in college football. If that were to happen, yeah, the, the conversation would have to change about Mario Cristobal. Now, I know that some people 
would probably come up with ways to explain it away. And also, if the ACC ends up being down this year, and they're like a three-loss team that just happens to win the conference, yeah, that would obviously be a little different conversation too. But if Miami wins the ACC, well, I'll tell you what else would happen. I, I would love to see what happens this postseason. But think about 2024. Because I told you guys, and I'm standing by this, that's the year they're really building towards down there. And they'd love to, they'd love to get a head start on those results in 2023. But if they were to win the ACC this year, you think people are hyping Florida State right now. Uh, take the hype on Florida State. Turn it up by about 350%. That would be Miami football around July or August of next year. And I'd love to watch it. So why not? Next up. Now, I sensed a little sarcasm in this next submission. What if the SEC played nine conference games and removed the cupcake non-conference games in November? Huh. Well, right now they play the toughest schedules in the country, so if they remove the cupcake, they would still play the toughest schedules in the country. I get pushback on this all the time. It's an age-old conversation. It's an age-old debate. Am I crazy about watching Georgia or Alabama versus UT Chattanooga? Certainly not. I don't waste my time on it, nor do I advise you to. Uh, do I love that it comes in November? No, I don't love that it happens, period. And I would much rather it not happen in November. But at the same time, I, I get some of you. We can just agree to disagree on this. This is fine. This is not condescending. I don't want the Reddit threads to go crazy on me. I'm just saying I've yet to have anyone who makes this argument with me explain why playing a cupcake in week two is different than playing one in November. The games all mean the same. No one has ever informed me that games in November count 1.5%, whereas in October, a little bit lesser value on that. That has not been explained to me. Uh, secondly, they're all out of conference anyway. Thirdly, and this is the point I keep going back to on this whole eight versus nine conference game debate in the SEC. I'd love for them to play nine conference games. Some people have accused me of thinking otherwise. No, it's not that. What I've always said, and I'll say it once more and then we'll move on because we have more things to talk about, is play non-conference games. I'm fine with it. That's your decision. Just make sure when I look over on the other side of the fence at all the folks screaming for the SEC to play non-conference games, don't be hitting me with you are what your record says you are, period, in December. No, you're not. No, you're not. If you've got next year, they'll have a 16-team league. You just guaranteed inserting another eight losses inside your conference somewhere if you play a nine-game conference schedule. Now, some of you are saying, yeah, that's the whole point. Some other conferences already do that. Hats off to them, man. Hats off to them. I don't think those leagues are as deep as the SEC, especially when you add OU in Texas. I don't think they're as deep as the SEC. That's not a reason not to play them. It's just a reason to understand that you need to change the conversation in December and you need to allow some wiggle room in your head for the idea that if they do play nine conference games down there, if they remove that cupcake you and I hate so much, well, we got to acknowledge the fact that there may be one of the four or five best teams in the country having two losses coming out of that conference. And if you yell play nine, but you scoff at that notion, that's where we would have a rub. Otherwise, we're kind of in agreement. It just doesn't sound that way. Next up, since I'm in Indianapolis, since I am at the tail end of Big Ten Media Days, how about this? What if the Big Ten West is one of college football's best divisions? Interesting. So I sat down with Matt Rule today. Great talk. We'll have it on the YouTube channel later. He's the new head coach at Nebraska for those not keeping track. I sat down with Luke Fickle. That video will also be on the channel from Wisconsin. 
Um, this is a bridge a little bit too far for me this year. So to be one of the best, I'm, I'm assuming you mean top three. And so you've got your own conference has the Big Ten East. You got the SEC West, uh, pro- probably the SEC East as well this year. Uh, the Big Ten doesn't have division. So, hey, the whole concept of a division is going away really quickly. So we, we can have this conversation and then kind of retire it. It's tough because I look at the talent rosters. I look at the lines of scrimmage in that division. They don't match up. Uh, the quarterbacks probably don't match up. But then again, there's this alternate universe, and I can kind of picture it in my head right now, where Tanner Mordecai just explodes at Wisconsin this year. Or maybe Jeff Sims. Talk to him today. He just explodes at Nebraska. Uh, maybe Kirk Ferentz. Come to think of it, I sat down with him yesterday too. A lot of name dropping happening. A little bit too much for my taste right now. What, but what if, what if Iowa, I don't know, they just they score 27 per game. What a novel concept. Could win 10 if they do that. Yeah, there's that world. But you notice how many things I, I kind of went stat as I said it. A lot of that has to come together. In the coming years, as they're upgrading the overall coaching caliber in this division, which will just eventually bleed into the Big 12 when you erode away divisions, that's what I'm excited for. I'll talk to you about that a little bit later on. Lastly, now this is a scary proposition for my friends down in, down in the boot, but we got to read it. So LSU, you know, when Brian Kelly was on the show last week, he talked about how, yeah, we had to dip into the portal a whole lot at DB. Well, Mike hit us up and said, what if those question marks in LSU secondary turn out to be just above average? This is an interesting question because no, no one ever words it this way. It's always they're going to be uh, loaded with potential Thorpe Award winners or they're going to be a landfill. Mike said, hey, what if they're just above average? You know, which is more realistic than either of the alternate uh, scenarios. If that happens, they'll lose uh, three games minimum, probably. And won't go to Atlanta, probably. And some people will look and say they regressed year one to year two, probably. And that won't necessarily be true. It'll be that one of their position groups cost an otherwise really talented team an opportunity to achieve more. Uh, that's not an LSU problem. Football teams have that problem all the time. Uh, that's why it is, it is very much a complex game. It is, it's not ping pong, much as I may like it to be. It's not tennis. It's not golf. It's not an individual sport. So you may very well have the best quarterback in the country this year, for all I know, and Jaden Daniels. Uh, that wide receiver room may develop tremendous depth. And who knows? Maybe you'd be able to score enough to, to cancel out average DB play. More than likely, LSU is going to need more than above average DB play. And when I say above average, I mean by playoff contender caliber standards, not above average by NCAA standards. Uh, I think if that happened, yeah, I could see that going nine and three. There, there's an eight and four and a 10 and two in there. I would just round it out at nine and three. I think a lot of people would say some dumb stuff about Brian Kelly and how he was a flash in the pan year one and have no clue what they're talking about. And I would probably talk in December about like I'm talking now. Fun little batch of what ifs there. You know, here we are on the road. Academy Sports and Outdoors, of course, making it all possible, and we appreciate them at every turn. There were there was a lot of high school practices starting up around here. We're in Indiana. I know it's happening everywhere. And if you hadn't already started, you're probably about to start. High school coaches out there, I am telling you, the Guardian Caps, they have at Academy. It is must-buy. It is much must-purchase for your team. A lot of you already do it. I just want to remind those of you who haven't, Academy Sports and Outdoors right now 
the exclusive provider of those Guardian caps. They insulate you both temperature-wise and impact-wise. There's no downside there. It's a beautiful thing. Academy.com is where you can go if you cannot get those in person. Director Colin, I miss him, by the way, down in Nashville. He's showing you that Guardian cap if you're watching on YouTube. If you're listening on podcast, hey, I just described it as well as I possibly can. But if you have more questions, check them out. Hey, you can probably Google Guardian caps, or you can just go to Academy Sports and Outdoors or Academy.com. But Academy always lets us go on the road, man. Uh, they take care of us immensely. They bring you the show free of charge, and we appreciate them so much. Academy and Big Game Dane taking care of me about 50-50 today. Uh, Academy paid the thousands upon thousands of dollars that it takes to go on the road, and Big Game Dane came off his hip pocket and gave me one of his pads. Look at that. So I thank him so much. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. We're, we've been at Big Ten Media Days for two days. Believe it or not, it feels like a little bit longer for various reasons, but we've been here. They're tearing down the stage behind us as we speak. You know Michigan was in here today. And if you're watching the replay of the show, I'm talking to you on Thursday. And if you're watching it live, I appreciate it. Michigan was here today. And Jim Harbaugh came in here fresh off the news. He's probably going to be suspended the first four games of the year. Um, I, here's what I'll say about the NCAA stuff because it's already old news. A lot of you came at me and said, how in the world is he being suspended four games for the equivalent of buying a kid a hamburger? I am with you. We can go on a torch and pitchfork quest against the NCAA tomorrow, and I would lock arms with you. Just don't be disingenuous about this. He got in trouble because he lied to him, not because of the offense. The offense would have garnered him a zero-game suspension. It was the lying. Now, he probably viewed it as a matter of principle and also probably didn't want to run the risk of the NCAA dropping an atomic bomb on his program for the equivalent of flicking someone on the ear, which they've been known to do in the past. So I'm not even saying I blame him. They're not going to lose a game because of it. Uh, they play glorified high school teams to start the season. They'll be fine. What I wondered for about 10 seconds was, hmm, is there a chance? Is there even a little bit of a chance that this may fracture a locker room? It won't because they're all grown men. They've been there forever. He's been building this year's version of Michigan, and some of those kids have been playing high-level football for now three years in a row. If anything, and I can't prove this, I can't quantify this, but if anything, I think there may be a time in November where we're watching Michigan You know, hopefully hit their stride. I think we'll be saying, wow, you remember that off-the-field stuff with Harbaugh? Remember that NCAA suspension? It feels like it kind of galvanized them. That's what happens to a veteran team. They're very careful to call it a player-led team. The best ones I'm around always are. And so I don't doubt that. I'll tell you what stands out to me. Now, imagine saying this to yourself, oh, 36 months ago. Imagine saying Michigan came to Big Ten Media Days, and it almost seemed like Ohio State was an afterthought. The Big Ten Championship almost felt like an afterthought. It's the college football playoff and the national championship because those are the only two hurdles that they have not cleared. I'm not telling you they're overlooking Ohio State. I'm not saying anything like that. I'm saying us being around those players and kind of getting a vibe from that program, they don't take it for granted, but they feel like they've got a chokehold. 
on that rivalry right now. They feel like they got Ohio State's number right now. And so they're looking and saying, hey, we got, we got bigger fish to fry. And look, they're free to feel that way. They have every reason to feel that way. Now, what about Ohio State? We had Ryan Day yesterday, sat down with him. That is on the YouTube channel if you want to watch it. Really good conversation with him. Talked to him before that as well. He is brutally honest about the job he has, about the fact that you can't go 45-6 and and just expect all your problems to disappear if some of those half-dozen losses are, well, two of them to Michigan and then losing college football playoff games. Is it an unfair standard? Well, if he says no, I would say no. It's It's a little warped. It's a little myopic, but that's okay. That, that's how I feel about the sport. I'm a little warped on it sometimes. I'm a little myopic. The fact is Ohio State has better resources and an advantage over 98% of the sport. There should be disproportionately high expectations there. The head coach there does not run from it. He embraces it. And when I say he shrugs it off, I don't mean he's nonchalant about it. I mean he shrugs it off as if to say, that's my job, man. Uh, those are the exact words he said to me before we started recording yesterday. So again, that interview is on the YouTube channel. But the other part of that is, I assume Kyle McCord will be their starting quarterback. I think what's interesting is watching the rest of that team sort of rise to whatever level they're going to rise to. Because as much as people are talking about that quarterback position, talking to Ohio State folks, they're excited about their defense. Uh, they've been building towards this for a couple of years, and Jim Knowles has come in, and now he's, he's not a rookie there. Like It's not his first go-around so it's going to have his thumbprint on it. Whatever their defense is, it'll have his thumbprint on it. Ultra excited to see whoever that quarterback is. Ultra excited to see that. Uh, they felt unlike any team I spoke to except Alabama. Alabama and Ohio State, for obvious reasons, have felt different being around the teams at the media days than any other team in the country. And it's because they have insanely high standards. It's because they lost to their biggest rivals last year. I absolutely, well, Alabama didn't get a chance to play against Georgia, but Georgia has won two titles in a row. Ohio State has played and lost two years in a row to Michigan. Uh, they, feel, they, feel, they feel like they took about a five-minute break from military training to come to media days and look at you in the eye and not smile and then go right back to business and no break camp in a couple of weeks. We got to talk to Wisconsin and Nebraska today, and I, I've spoken about this with you guys a few times. I think it bears repeating. Like, if you're not a Big Ten fan, but you're a college football fan, and you just wish there were more good games on. Part of your problem is the second and third tier of the Big Ten has not been as watchable as it should be. For a conference as good as the Big Ten is, you get past Ohio State, you get past Michigan, uh, you get past Penn State, and it, it's a crapshoot how good uh, Purdue versus Wisconsin is going to be any given year. And there's really no excuse for that. I felt that way for a few years. I think a lot of folks around the Big Ten do now. And if I were to talk to you this time last year and I said, Nebraska's going to come open, Wisconsin's going to come open, you would have been probably really surprised at Wisconsin. But then if I were to have told you Nebraska's going to get Matt Rule and Wisconsin's going to get Luke Fickle, to me that's the biggest upset because folks thought Fickle was going to either wait for Ohio State or like take an NFL job. He goes to Wisconsin, and I talked to him today, and he laid out the exact reasons why. That video, again, will be on the YouTube channel later. They really leveled up. And this is good news for college football fans. It's good news for Big Ten fans because you get more quality games. Like imagine if the SEC were uh, Bama, Georgia, some, sometimes LSU, and then everyone else was trash. Now, some people sarcastically say it is. It's really not, though. Because like South Carolina, um, Ole Miss, Auburn, most years, 
Uh, Texas A&M up until last year, those are really good programs. And if they don't win, it's not for a lack of trying. Whereas some places in the Big Ten, it's kind of had that good enough is enough sort of feel. Wisconsin was one of those places. Nebraska had been one of those places. It's not those places anymore. And talking to their people on and off the record today, uh, they kind of echoed that sentiment. So it's nice to know I was actually onto something there. Minnesota was here today. I got to be honest with you. So when I told you guys earlier in the week, I thought some big news was coming this week. I was talking about Colorado being on the move. And I knew that there was a report coming out about Minnesota. Those were the two things. And um, Colorado news was exactly what it was. Uh, This Minnesota deal was not what I thought it would be. The way that it was kind of being framed behind the scenes, I thought it was going to be Northwestern Part 2, the Minnesota version, and it wasn't. And I sat down with P.J. Fleck today, and I gave him a chance to address it any which way he wanted to. And he answered it exactly how I would answer it. And I'll tell you, if you're unfamiliar, front office sports had the story. And to paraphrase and summarize the story, it was disgruntled former players who were alleging a toxic culture in the Minnesota football program. I sat like five feet from where I am right now with Brady Quinn earlier today, and he put it really well. He said, football is an inside-out sport sometimes. Everybody wants to know the insides. But those who have only been outside and never been inside are really taken aback sometimes when they see what the inside is like. Translation, if you've never been in a locker room, if you've never been part of athletic competition, doesn't make you a bad person or anything like that, but it does kind of come as a shock to the senses sometimes when you find out how sports actually work. And that's when nothing wrong is going on, by the way. If you were to attend a college football practice if you were to go to a summer conditioning session, it's a, it's a shock to the senses. It really is. We get to see some practices sometimes, and that's after they close it to the media. It is a, it is a blessing for some of those guys to get to Saturday. It is easier on them Saturdays than it is sometimes during the week. Well, here's the point. What was alleged against Minnesota made me go, where's the rest of this? Because uh, I read it. And I expected more, and there, there really wasn't anything there. So I talked to P.J. Fleck about it today. He said, hey, look, this is something that uh, has been peddled behind the scenes for a little while. Almost what he was saying is, we knew the allegation was there. It's just that they finally found someone to run with it. He said, look, we've got seven different mechanisms in our program that people could anonymously report issues to if they had them. He said, we never heard anything from any of the people who were sourced in this report. So." That's what you do, by the way. If you get accused of something and you're telling me it's false, get in front of folks as quickly as you can, look them in the eye, which P.J. Fleck did with me and everyone else here today, and tell us it's false. And if you do, and I believe you, I'll go on one of the biggest college football shows in the world like we are right now and agree with you. I agree with P.J. Fleck. I thought they handled themselves very well. I also thought it did them a big PR favor that that story came out, and then the whole Colorado thing blew up. So... My sense, and you can tell me if I'm wrong because I've kind of been barricaded in here in Indianapolis, my sense is that that was in the headlines for about six hours, and now everyone's forgotten about it. Which, in lieu of further details coming out, is exactly how I'd advise you to treat it. Aaron Lewis from Rutgers was my favorite player to talk to here. Uh, Dane and he are the only people who commented on the blueness of my eyes the entire week, and I appreciated it from him because he did it on a camera. So I asked him, what do you want to do maybe after football? And he said, I may love to get into media. 
I think he's got a future in it if he wants to. Penn State, I, I, I talked to James Franklin. We, we've had him on the show twice now, including yesterday in the past few months. I don't have a lot to say about him that I haven't already said. I, I think that that is a team that feels as ready to get to fall camp and finally prove what everyone is saying about him as any team I've been around. And so not a whole lot of talking left to do with Penn State. It's not that I'm not acknowledging them. I just don't have a lot to say. I'll tell you one more guy I wanted to talk to you about. Never met Kirk Ferentz before. Uh, never been to an Iowa game at home. I've been to Iowa, Iowa State, but that was in Ames. And so I don't have, I don't have immense familiarity with the Iowa program. Now, certainly, as a longtime fan of this game, I've watched Kirk Ferentz my whole life. Like, he's been the head coach at Iowa pretty much my whole uh, coherent life watching college football. And so it was an honor to get to meet him. At the same time, I think there are valid criticisms of his program. I've watched from afar, and, you know, I've wondered, what is the balance of understanding where college football is going versus honoring and respecting an institution and a legacy head coach who's not going four and eight or anything like that. It's just they've, they don't have an offensive fastball, and it costs them the opportunity to do more than what they have done. And listening to him talk yesterday, number one, it's obvious why he's been around as long as he has. Like some guys look through you, and some guys look at you. Some guys are really grizzled in the way they present themselves. Some guys you could never knock off the balls of their feet. You would never get Kirk Ferentz on his heels. That means he's right on everything, but it's just there's a steadfastness. There's a belief in what he's doing. It bleeds through so quickly when you're talking to him face-to-face. He talked about the specifics of how they have to upgrade offensively. He talked about the, not limitations, because that's not the word he used, but there's a different kind of personnel they use there. So you're not going to see much five wide from Iowa, but doing it the Iowa way. There's a way to bleed more than 23, 24 points per game out of that offense. So it's been a really fun week here. Uh, Big Ten Media Day is the first one I ever attended. And probably not my last. I'm told that I'm told that this company, whose mic flag I'm holding, has signed a pretty significant deal with this conference. So I don't doubt that we'll be here uh, several years to come. All right, I want to wrap the show up with bold predictions. Bold predictions, a tradition unlike any other in college football, at least, rolls on for Chapter 22 tonight. And the first one caught my eye, so I want to lead with this one about the one of five. Bold prediction number one, and for those of you unfamiliar, these are just things you're predicting that you claim you'd bet your money on. How about this one from Columbia, South Carolina? Only one of the preseason top five teams will make the college football playoff. Now, I look to my left, I look to my right. I don't see an AP poll yet. I have not dropped a JP poll yet. So all we can do is go on the Caesar Sportsbook top five right now in terms of odds. And that is Georgia, Bama, Ohio State, Michigan, and LSU. I'm pretty sure that's what the other polls will look like. So the prediction is only one of those five make the playoff. This is a nine on the boldness scale for me. There is a way that this could happen, kind of. So think about this. If you told me nothing more than uh, Bama, you can pick any of the SEC teams. So, so let's say Georgia uh, goes to Atlanta and they face a beaten up Bama or a beaten up LSU. Either of them already have at least one loss, but the, you know, the one loss team makes it to Atlanta and Georgia beats them. Georgia may very well be your only SEC team. You could paint that scenario with LSU and Alabama too. So let's just for the sake of argument say Georgia's the one SEC team. Well, I just took out three of the top five. Okay, so I got one 
And now I got to figure out how neither Ohio State nor Michigan is going to make the playoff. And you could say, well, Josh, it just sounds like Penn State won the conference. Yeah, okay. But even if that were to happen, and I've got multiple playoff spots left, are we looking at a situation where Penn State won the Big Ten and there's enough distance between them and the rest of the field that none of the rest of the Big Ten qualifies for the playoff? That's what's tough for me. That's why I'm calling this a nine. Also, it could very well be that like three of them or more make the playoff. So that one was tough to see. Not impossible, but tough to see for me. Next up, I don't know if I've told you, but I've talked to some coaches today. We sat down with Mike Loxley as well from Maryland. So this comes from Savannah, Georgia. I love the name of that town, by the way. Maryland, top 20 by the end of the year. Wow. Well, I should let you know, Mike Loxley has been the head coach at Maryland multiple years. One of the most fun guys in the sport to talk to, by the way. And he has a story. And we can't tell it in 10 minutes, which is how long we had to sit down with him. Mike Loxley, this year, for the first time, was bold enough to come in here and start talking about competing for the actual Big Ten East, competing for the Big Ten Championship. And he, he actually said, I've never said that before. You know, anyone who pays attention to me year to year, I've never used that kind of nomenclature, $5 in the uh, verbiage jar there. I've never used that kind of phrasing. I am this year because I feel good enough about that. He's another coach, by the way, who came here and talked a lot about a player-led team. Now, I, I mentioned that to you guys sometimes in passing, but all that means is I got a veteran-laden team. Most of the time, that's what that means. And it means I got a team who has taken accountability to the point where the coaches don't really have to be on players every second of every day. They care about the outcome. They're invested. They got skin in the game to the point where it's their team. You know, we're kind of keeping it on the rails, but it's their team. And they will determine how far they go, which is a beautiful thing when it works out. It's a nightmare when it doesn't. Maryland top 20 by the end of the year, though. That's an 8.75 on the boldness scale. S&P Plus, they're starting the season at 41st. They've gone 3-9, and 2-3 and three the COVID year, 7-6, and 8-5. and five. So there's a noticeable progression there post-COVID. If I could get them to 9-3 and three this year, that's probably good enough for a top 20 finish. Here's the problem. Uh, they go at Michigan State, at Ohio State. Illinois will be a dogfight at home even. Uh, Penn State, at Nebraska, Michigan, they, I don't know about spreads on some of those. They're a point spread underdog in most of those games, though. And so I need some upsets. I either need some upsets or I need, I need some losses and like a monumental upset against Ohio State or, or Michigan. It's his best team, though. I think it'll be Mike Loxley's best team. So this is not out of the realm. And they said top 20, not top 10. So I'm going to go 8.75 on that boldness scale. What about this one? There's some layers to this next one, and this one has some G5 flavor to it. Tulane goes undefeated but does not make the college football playoff. Huh. Now, we saw this a couple of years ago. The cannot crowd turned into the has not crowd when they told you that Cincinnati G5 team couldn't make the playoff. Then all of a sudden they made the playoff. We held strong on our show, by the way. So Tulane goes undefeated this year and they don't make it. Well, I'll tell you a couple of things here. Firstly, it's hard to go undefeated, so I'm going to make this a 9.5 on the boldness scale, although they have the best odds of any G5 team to do it. Secondly, look at Ole Miss in week two. They come to Tulane. That's it. There is no more Power 5 team, which leads me to my next point. A lot of hypocrisy in this sport. Couldn't be us, but a lot of hypocrisy in this sport. Some of that hypocrisy sounds like this. 
You heard it earlier in the show. All the SEC should play nine conference games. Why? Well, their schedule is not strong enough. Some of those same people would look at Tulane go undefeated, and they would say, well, they deserve a shot at the playoff. And I'd ask them, why? Well, they went undefeated. Okay, and? Well, you are what your record says you are. Like, How could you deny an undefeated team a shot at the college football playoff? I don't think their strength of schedule warrants it. That, that's my very cold, serial killerish, heartbeat not above 80 response to that because we've had to do this before. And I'd probably have the same conversation. I would, I would tell you, I don't care that you're undefeated alone. I do care about it. But I also care that I think I would favor 15 teams in the country to go undefeated against your schedule. Some years, that's the way it works out. We'll have to see how this works out for Tulane. Uh, so there, there may very well be a scenario where they go undefeated, and I'm sitting here like I was with Cincinnati two years ago saying, no, I think they deserve to be in the playoff, but it would be out of Tulane's hands because that's the card you draw when you're a G5 team. My answer has been have a G5 playoff. No one wants to do it. And so in lieu of that, if we're going to continue the charade that 130-some-odd teams actually play the same caliber of this sport, then I'm going to be a little bit more of a stickler about strength of schedule. And let's be consistent, by the way, across the board in how we talk about that. So I think it'd be tough for him to go undefeated. And then going undefeated not making the playoff is tough, so I'm going to make it 9.5. Lastly, and the boldest prediction of the night, and he's been in the news for other reasons today, but from Dallas, Texas, we got a prediction that said, Deion Sanders will be on the hot seat after year one. What? How? And we're removing scandal from this, okay? So if scandal breaks out, totally different thing. But if it's just for football, Deion Sanders on the hot seat after year one, dude, they could, they could go winless and only regress by one game from last year. I think we've forgotten because of how much he's been in the news, how much hype he's gotten. We've contributed to it. Maybe people have forgotten where this program is. They just had to take over 70 kids out of the portal. Or they had a roster turnover of that much. Uh, they were a one-win team last year. Whomst ever has the audacity to talk hot seat with Deion Sanders after year one, if it's just for football-related reasons, probably does not need to be featured in bold predictions very much moving forward. I'm making that a 9.75. And if you remove scandal from the equation, because anything could happen off the field. So if we're saying he's on the hot seat for football reasons after year one, that's, that's close enough to make, make that a 10 on the boldness scale. Don't see that at all. Been a busy day. Been a good trip, though. Uh, we are starting at an abnormal time and still have a ton of people watching, and I'm sure many more of you will watch the replay. So I was talking in the live chat because we got started a couple of minutes later today, and I was talking to some of you guys. I dropped some nuggets in there. Dropped some nuggets about what's about to happen next month. Always watch the show live if you can. You won't miss much. Don't worry. Announcements are coming. But in the meantime... Let me tell you what to look forward to. So we'll be back live Sunday. I'll be in Nashville. We'll be good to go. We have got a Luke Fickle conversation coming up on the YouTube channel. We got Matt Rule. He went really in-depth about how it ended in Carolina. He did not plan on being back in coaching. He, he opened the book, man. He was, really, he was really good with us. That'll be on the YouTube channel. So keep an eye on that. We got a ton of content coming. Look, now through the national championship game, we're wide open. And so we appreciate you taking the ride. Make sure you subscribe. That's all I need you to do. And if you want to follow on the socials, at Lake Kick Josh is where you can find me. And after that, you've had enough of me because I've had enough of myself. So for Director Colin and Producer Grishy back in Nashville, Big Game Dane is posted up on the wall just behind the camera. 
for the sake of time, I won't have him appear on cam, but I appreciate him and now the rest of our crew here because uh, it has been a trying time trying to get things together due to things out of our control earlier this afternoon, but we got it done. Appreciate you guys tuning in live. We'll be back same time, Sunday night, normal time, Sunday night in Nashville. Until then, take care and God bless.